we are going to finish up today our series called The Spirit of Christmas. We've been looking at different angles on that expression. Uh, obviously, the traditional classic idea of the spirit of Christmas is, is the motivation behind Christmas, right? Is, is the reasons for Christmas, the thing that makes Christmas magical, the thing that makes Christmas special. But we've looked at different angles on that world word first we saw the holy spirit of christmas and how god's holy spirit has been involved in the christmas story from the very beginning then last week we looked at the angelic spirits of christmas and we learned about angels today we're going to tune more to the traditional perspective but still with a twist we want to look at god's spirit behind Christmas? What what was God's motivation? What was God trying to do? What was God up to as as he created Christmas? So we're going to look at the spirit behind Christmas today. I I was watching How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the classic cartoon from like the 60s with my kids this week, and I was reminded of this famous quote, right? It says, the Grinch puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something that he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Praise God for that. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more, right? It's a sweet statement. I don't think that Dr. Seuss really was talking about Jesus as he said that. But the reality is, yes, Christmas means a little bit more. In fact, the reality is Christmas means a whole lot more. And so today we're going to talk very quickly about the spirit behind Christmas. What I want to do today is I want to share with you four reasons from God's perspective that we have Christmas. Four reasons why God sent his son Jesus. Four things that motivated him. Four aspects of his character that I believe we can first of all be encouraged by. That God did this for us. But second of all, we can be inspired by. You see, God sent Jesus to do multiple things for us. First, he sent Jesus to fix things for us, to be the sacrifice for us so we could be restored to him. But secondly, he sent Jesus to be a model for us, an example for us so we could be like him. And I believe as we look at what God was up to at Christmas, we can learn some things that would be very beneficial for us to apply ourselves this week and throughout our lives. So the four reasons, and maybe not the four, four of the reasons behind Christmas, there's probably many more. The first one is this, the Christmas is motivated by the spirit of love. We have Christmas because of the spirit of love. Very famously, right, John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, says that for God so, for God so, we all know it, right, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the King James says, his only begotten son. Why? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The danger with a verse like that is it becomes so familiar and so cliche that it loses its impact. If we can step back for a minute, by the way, that's the same danger with the story of Christmas, right? We, we celebrate this every year. We know about the birth of Jesus. We've heard it our whole lives. If we're not careful, the, the wonder of it, the miracle of it kind of loses its impact in our lives. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I love letting the kids get up here to do this. Because when we have the kids bring it to us, it, it, it gives a different voice behind it. 
It brings a different angle on it. It allows us to see the story from a different perspective. I love getting to see, obviously, two of my kids were in the production this morning, and I'm, I'm a proud father this morning, not just of my two, but of the other kids that were in the production as their pastor. Uh, but you know that this is more than just doing something cute, right? That this is more than just allowing the kids to get up there so we can look at how cute they look in their costumes and, and we can make some memories, although I love that aspect of it. You know what Carolyn's been doing? She's been empowering our kids to share their faith. She's been teaching them that they have a voice. You know, the Bible says that from the the mouths of infants and children, he's ordained praise. She's empowered them to live that out for us. She's taught them how to use their gifts. Now, let's be honest. Some of them are more gifted than others. Notice none of my kids had a solo. That's not accidental, right? Uh, That's deserved. There, there, There are different giftings in the group. But man, she's empowering them to use their gifts for God's glory. That's an incredible and an awesome thing. See, God was motivated by love to send Jesus. We've heard it, we know it, but has it impacted you lately? God loved you so much. He was not willing to leave you in your sin. He was not willing to leave you in your brokenness. He was not willing to leave you in your ignorance. He loved you so much that he gave. I think one of the lines that the kids said is that God gave his best. He gave his very best for us at Christmas. God was motivated by love. I hope this week in everything you do as you do your your last few days of work or maybe you're one of those people who has one of those jobs where you don't get any time off for Christmas because your job is just too essential and too important. Man, as you encounter people at work, I hope you're motivated by love for them this week. As you take some invite cards and pass them out, I hope you're motivated by love. Man, that God loves you so much, I want you to have a great Christmas experience. That I love you so much, I want you to know Jesus. I don't want to take any chance that you haven't had the opportunity to hear the greatest story ever told. I want you to know that I love you. See, you don't have to say it. Like for some people, that might be weird if you invited them and said, I love you, right? But that should be the heart behind the reason why you're inviting them. The spirit of love is one of the reasons we have Christmas. Secondly, the spirit of generosity. In fact, the spirit of sacrificial generosity is a reason that we have Christmas. We just saw John 3.16, which tells us that God so loved the world, but it doesn't stop there. It says, for God so loved the world that he, he gave. My God's a giver. Man, I'm glad. My God is a giver. You've probably heard it said many times that you can't outgive God. But it's said so many times because it's true. You can't. No matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how much you stretch, no matter how much you give, God's always going to give more. Number one, he's going to give more because it's his nature. Number two, he's going to give more because he's got more, right? Like He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got a whole lot to give. But despite having everything, he still didn't withhold his best. He gave the one thing he had that could bring hope to the world. The one thing he had that could restore us to relationship with him. The one thing he had that could solve our problem with sin, our damnation to eternity apart from him. The only thing he had 
It's the thing that he gave. God was motivated by sacrificial generosity. We have Christmas because of his sacrificial generosity. Now, of all these attributes of God that we that motivated him to give us Christmas, this is the one that's most associated with the Christmas season, right? Like giving is is almost transcendent when it comes to Christmas. It's one of the first things that we think about. In fact, I was talking to somebody uh, at the coffee bar this morning. We were talking about Christmas. And are you ready for Christmas? And man, just question comes out. Hey, have you finished your Christmas list, right? Like, have you finished your Christmas shopping? Why? Because that's just something we do. It's an expectation. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing that we reflect God at the Christmas season. Now we can get out of hand. We can run up credit card debt. We can do it badly. We can try to impress people, right? There can be poor motivations in that. But I think the very basics of it, the essence of it is an awesome thing. We give because he gave. The spirit of Christmas is sacrificial generosity. Now notice the word sacrificial. Sacrifice is defined as giving up something that we love for something we love more. Think about that when it comes to God. God gave up something he loved, his son, for something he loved more, restoration to you. That's a powerful statement. He sacrificed his son. He allowed his son to be taken from him, his son to die, because you were too important not to do it. He was motivated by sacrificial generosity. I believe any time of year, as believers, we should be motivated by sacrificial generosity. I believe we should be the people leading the way in laying down our lives for others. And that's not just financial, though there's certainly financial implications in there. That's, that's time, right? That's our talent. That's giving of whatever it is that God's placed in us and getting it out to others. Why? Because that's the God that we serve. We serve a God of sacrificial generosity. Number three, we have Christmas because of the spirit of restoration. We have Christmas because of the spirit of restoration. What is the spirit of restoration? Well, God desired to restore something. One of the things in Christianity that we do sometimes that I think is a little bit flawed is is we have these systems of sharing our faith, which I think are really important, but most of our systems of sharing our faith will start with something like this. Like when I was a kid, I learned the Romans Road. Anybody ever heard of the Romans Road? A few of you? Okay. Romans Road is like walking through specific verses in Romans to share the gospel. Great concept, great idea. But it would always start with this, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And, and that is an important part of the story, and it's absolutely true. I just don't think it's where the story begins, I don't think it's where things start. See, I think the story begins in Genesis when God created people. He created the world, but he created people, and it says that he created us in his own image. See, in Genesis, Adam and Eve actually walked with God face to face. That was God's original design, and I think the story has to start there. See, there's dignity in every human being because all of us are created in his image. Yes, we're fallen. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we are in need of a savior and God had to restore us and that's an important part of the story that we can't skip. But the story starts in Genesis. Why? Because if we're understanding the story of restoration, we gotta know what we're being restored to. 
See, God sent Jesus to save us back to himself, back to his original design, back to the place where he designed us in his image, where he had daily relationship with us where we could be together. See, God didn't just send Jesus to do something new. He sent Jesus to restore something old. And we have to understand that in the gospel, the spirit of restoration motivated Christmas. I want to share with you a, a couple of verses along these lines. Verse, in, in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, it says, For God was pleased to have all in his fullness, his is Jesus, uh, dwell in him, him being Jesus, and through him, again, him being Jesus, all these pronouns are referring to Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, why? To reconcile all things to himself. Why did God send Jesus? To put everything back together. To restore things to its original design. He says whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God's original design for you was that he'd have relationship with you. God's original design for you was that he would know you and that you would know him. And because of sin, because of our brokenness, that design was shattered. But God sent Jesus to reconcile. He sent Jesus to restore us back to the original design. It was so massively important. God's a restorer at heart. I believe that we should have the heart of restoration. I believe that Christmas time is one of those times where, where we oftentimes face the brokenness of our own families, the brokenness of our own relationships, the brokenness of, of the life around us. And there are some relationships that can't be restored and, and don't need to be restored, right? There's abusive relationships and, and harmful relationships, and there's times where you need to Set some boundaries and protect yourself or your family or your kids. But I think the majority of those relationships, God's desires for restoration. I think in the majority of that, God wants to put things back together. And so at Christmas time, man, as you face a, a difficult extended family Christmas, or, or man, we don't really want to go to this house or have this dinner, or I'm not really looking forward to this, I'd encourage you to open up to the idea that God wants you to be an agent of restoration, an agent of reconciliation. What did God do to bring restoration? He made the first move. And so if we're going to be agents of restoration, that means we may have to make the first move with somebody. Now that making the first move doesn't always mean that, hey, everything's back together perfectly. It might just mean, hey, I forgive you, even though you didn't ask, right? Sometimes you may not even be able to have that conversation because that person's not even here anymore. But you can still bring restoration to your heart in your relationship with them by simply choosing, I'm going to forgive. This Christmas, I'm going to release this thing that happened to me. I'm going to release this thing that was done to me. You see, God's heart of restoration was that even though we'd rejected him, even though we rebelled against him, even though we turned away from him, he was going to pursue us. God demonstrated his own love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. You see, God's heart for restoration is the heart to make the first move. And maybe for some of us this week, God's going to open the door for us to make the first move, to bring restoration to a relationship. Maybe it's not even a relationship of yours that's broken, but it's a relationship in your family that's broken, 
And God's going to lay it on your heart to initiate for some people to have a conversation. I mean, to start planting some seeds. Maybe you can't even have that conversation. All you can do is pray it through. I don't know what God's going to put on your heart. I'm not trying to tell you this morning what to do. What I am telling you is this. We serve a God of restoration. Restoration runs at the heart of the Christmas story. It's who he is, and it's what he does, and he just might want to use you to do some of it this week. Amen? Amen. The fourth reason that we have Christmas is because of the spirit of faithfulness. The spirit of faithfulness. We just had 14 amazing kids stand up here and tell us the story of Christmas, and they talked about how God keeps his promises. That over and over, God promised this, God promised this. I think at one point there was probably like nine kids lined up across the front, and each one of them had a different line about when we did this, God promised this. When we were broken this way, God promised this. When, when we needed this, God promised this. Like rapid fire, right? Well, what is Christmas? Well, Friday night, I'm going to get to read the Christmas story. And it's a beautiful story. It's, it's an, an interwoven story that pulls from both the Matthew passages and the Luke passages of Christmas and kind of puts them together chronologically and, and allows me to, to read the whole thing in about 10, 11 minutes. What I want you to notice if you get to be here Friday night or if you're not and you watch the live stream or, or you watch it later on, as we read the story of Christmas, I want you to notice how many times it says this fulfilled this prophecy. This fulfilled the promise from Hosea. This fulfilled the promise from Isaiah. This prophecy of Jeremiah. Again and again and again, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, fulfilled a promise of God. And that was, of course, just the start of the story, right? The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus fulfilled promise after promise after promise. We have Christmas because we have a God who's faithful to his word. We have a God who's faithful to do what he says. Now, I don't know what people in your life have been unfaithful, but I know that the holidays can sometimes bring that stuff up, can bring it to a head, the unfaithfulness of a spouse, the unfaithfulness of a parent, the unfaithfulness of a child, the unfaithfulness of a boss. Uh, I remember years ago, I was promised a Christmas bonus by a specific boss, and I didn't get a bonus, and I was pretty upset about that. And that bonus at that point in time was probably like 100 bucks, 200 bucks. Like, it wasn't life-changing money, but, but the fact that the promise was broken, it bothered me, right? It, it messed me up a little bit. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of examples in our lives of unfulfilled promises because we're unfaithful people. The reality is most of us in this room know Jesus, gave our life to Jesus a long time ago. Most of us have been unfaithful since we promised our lives to him. And he loves us anyway. He pursues us anyway. You see, this is the wonder of the God that I serve, that even when I'm unfaithful, he's faithful. Amen. His faithfulness is a motivation of this season. So I encourage you this Christmas time, receive God's faithfulness. Stand on his faithfulness. Maybe you're in a broken season right now. Maybe you're in a season of pain. Maybe you're in a season of loss. 
Maybe you're in a season of difficulty, of challenge, of, of, of pain. I don't know what your season may look like, but I want you to know this. God always keeps his promises. If the promise is not yet fulfilled, that means the story is not yet over. Because God always keeps his promises. Some of the promises of the birth of Jesus dated back 700 years before his birth, 500 years before his birth, 400 years before his birth. Some of them stretched back, in fact, all the way to Adam and Eve, all the way to the beginning when they fell. God made the first promise of restoration. All throughout the Old Testament, he's woven together promises for us. And most of the people who received those promises never saw the promise come to fruition in this life. So understand this, if the promise is not fulfilled, that's because the story is not over. He always keeps his promises, not always on our timeline, not always in the way that we would want him to, but he is always faithful to his promises. Let me show you some things in scripture. In Luke 1, Mary is singing a song as as she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and, and they've both been given these miraculous conceptions, right? Elizabeth because she's too old to have a baby, Mary because she's too pure to have a baby, right? Like neither one of them were supposed to have a baby at this point and yet God miraculously gave them both children and they go and they celebrate together and Mary breaks out into a song of worship. And in her song of worship in Luke chapter one, she says this about God. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Jesus at this point in time is probably one or two months in the womb. This is the very, very beginning of the story of Christmas. And Mary already is connecting God sent this miracle because God made promises. He made promises to our ancestors and he's keeping them in Jesus. God keeps his promises in Jesus. In fact, 2 Corinthians 2.10 puts it this way. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Everybody say yes. yes. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, you know what amen means? It doesn't just mean good preaching, though. I like it when you say amen, right? <laughs> amen means so be it. I agree with this. This is the truth. So God speaks an amen through Jesus. Through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Why? Because my God always keeps his promises. The spirit of faithfulness inspires Christmas. The spirit of sacrificial generosity inspires Christmas. The spirit of restoration inspires Christmas. The spirit of love inspires Christmas. We have Christmas because these things make up the nature of our God. They make up his character, and he extends them to us, and he calls us to be imitators of God, that in the same way he gives them to us, that we would pass them on to others. So that's the encouragement this week, church. Walk in love, walk in sacrificial generosity, walk in restoration, and walk in faithfulness. And God will use you in somebody's life in a powerful way if you'll reflect God 